Okay, so here we are again for uh, our third installment of the FLT. How are we all doing today? Great. Good, good. Okay. Oh, great, good, great, good, okay. So that's a sliding scale. When we started this podcast, there were a few names that popped into my head sort of straight away of people that I wanted to talk to. But one of the things that I definitely wanted to cover was a leader that's gone through a, a substantial and modern transformation at work. And when I thought of that change, the first name that came into my head was you, Hanna Kaiser. So welcome, Hanna Kaiser Lanzi Thank you. We've prepared a little bit of an introduction. Annalie, would you do the honors? Sure, absolutely. So here's what I found about you online. You have worked previously at Nokia and at MTV Media Company in Finland, and you have a PhD in psychology. Since 2018, you have worked as Chief HR Officer and later as Chief People and Culture Officer at OP, or OP, as we call it in Finnish, OP Financial Group, which is Finland's largest financial services group. When you became the CHRO of OP, you and the CEO of OP, Timorita Kallio, became the faces of change. You launched a huge transformation and reorganization of the company, leading it to adopt an agile culture and lean mode of operation. Only two financial institutions in the world had tried it prior to OP. Since then, you have also been called Madame Agile, Rova Kettera in Finnish. The aim of the change was to change the organization to focus on employee and customer experience and to enhance productivity. Remove organizational silos and make the organization leaner. You reduced from six organizational layers to four. The change was started with a restructuring announcement that adopted agile working practices. Almost all employees were affected and changed their ways of working. Hundreds of new jobs were both created and some old jobs were eliminated. And then the last aim was also to train 90 agile coach roles to help teams to learn and adopt agile practices. You are also a published author. In 2013, you published a book called Renew Your Business, which is about engaging people to renewal and innovation at work. You are a mother of 18-year-old twin girls, skilled as ballet hobbyist and crocheter. Uh, you are a green tea enthusiast. Moving to you as a leader, you are known for advocating for less is less thinking. This, according to you, means stop and think what the two to three impactful things are you need to focus on and reserve time in your calendar to do so. In your recent LinkedIn posts, you have talked about burnout and well-being, as well as the creation of a psychological safe environment where people would feel valued and not judged. At the same time, you also talk about the big people-related problems that come to your table, which people themselves are not necessarily able to solve. This, of course, raises the question where on its journey is OPE in creation of a psychologically safe environment? Is this a good characterization of you? And where do you actually stand on your journey on psychological safety? That describes me pretty well, yes. If I reflect on our situation at OP Group now in relation to psychological safety, first maybe a little bit of background why that is important for us as our culture, the core of our culture are 
autonomous multidisciplinary teams with the intention that those teams could solve all the problems that they face at their work practically by themselves. And then the coaches and leaders help them to have the resources and the skills and sort of the infrastructure in place to do their work in the best possible way. So psychological safety is really important in that kind of a culture so that the teams get the best out of them. They are typically multidisciplinary. So each voice is important because then you hear the different angles, for instance, to a, to a complex problem. And psychological safety helps in that, that all the people are feel safe enough to say what is their opinion related to a particular problem, for instance. So since a year and a half ago, we started measuring psychological safety as part of our personal surveys in order to understand where we are. And then, of course, in order to for the teams to understand where they are so that they can develop that aspect in, in, in their kind of a climate. And I would say that uh, one of our strengths is that the, in, the, in the teams, the levels of psychological safety are really, really high. And that I would consider as a strength at OP Group. The further you go from your own team, i.e. what is the psychological safety between teams or departments or organizations, and then in relation to top management, then the level of psychological safety goes down. And, and this is something that we find in the academic research as well. But of course, we want to improve also that aspect. So, so teams alone can't do a lot. We need to align with other teams in order to create value for our customers. So that is also an area that we want to develop and of course in relation to top management so that people will feel that if problems don't get solved here there's a place where i can take them and ultimately somebody will help us to solve these problems right thank you that's really interesting how do you help the teams you know if they want to improve their psychological safety well, we have these 90 coaches yeah. that help them. So in concrete terms, once we have this survey, we get the results and then we discuss the results and then the teams discuss. So what is in place? What is not in place? How can we improve? What can we do? So right. it's really a bottom up development of the team's own ways of working and the coaches help them in, in those discussions and in okay. that type of a dialogue. Thanks. In, in terms of the journey, I think OPE started the transition, was it four years ago, five years ago? Nearly five years five ago. Five years ago almost. And it sounds like you're in a good place. Like Yes, yeah, you're yes. Then if you look at the, the goals that we set for this transformation, like you said earlier, the first goal was that we create a workplace where people do their best at work. Yeah. <laughs> so employee engagement was the first, uh, first goal. The second one was that we want to improve our customer experience because mm. we exist to create value <laughs> for our customers. And then, of course, we need to stay competitive and productivity mm. plays a key role in that. So we also want to become more productive in our ways of operating. And if we look at all these three indicators, the employee engagement has gone up steadily during these past five years. If we look at the average, of course, there's variation between teams, but the change is statistically significant. And, uh, and the teams that are best in this autonomous way of operating have also increased the two other measures in terms of uh, customer experience as well as they have become more productive. But there we have more variation. And then, of course, it's very hard to draw a line from one team to figure that measures customer experience. So it's a bit more tricky than personal service and 
job satisfaction. But it tends to have a knock-on effect on customer experience yes. as well if you focus on employee experience. Yes. Yeah. All right. And how, how do you measure productivity? Well, is it self-rated or not? We measure it now that all the work that mm. the teams do is on backlogs that are in a common tool. Mm. And from there, we can see that what the teams have planned and what they produce. And we look at that ratio. And, mm. and when we started, that ratio was such that the teams planned two times more work that they could actually deliver. So everything was lagging behind and people getting stressed and we don't mm. get the work done. And now we're using that data, the, the teams are using that data so that they become better in planning. And now they become better. So what they plan, they can they can get done. But of course, it's not a real productivity measure, oh, oh. but it has helped a lot in, in our teams to become more realistic in what can be done and, and what kind of a time schedule. And probably also more focused. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Prioritization ha- yeah. is happening a lot more and uh, people are not that stressed because yeah. the, the backlog is realistic and there is this achievement feeling. Yeah, that's and I mean, that's where most teams sort of fall down, right? They have a plan and they maybe plan a little bit more than they can actually yeah. do, but then something else happens and then yeah. the plan goes wrong and then everything just compounds. Yeah. Is it like, so is it, uh, MS Teams, or is it like a Kanban board? It's Jira. Or? Jira. It's, it, it's, <laughs> okay. It, it comes from Good the software world. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but we have hmm. taken it in, into all work, kind of ah, expert yeah. work. Yeah. And there the teams can also combine their goals. Mm. So I can have similar goals as the guys yeah. in your team. And then we are not working on separate streams that are similar, but mm. we are working towards the same goals. So that helps also in, in the alignment piece. And breaking the silence. Yeah. But it's not the same as being just basically less ambitious. Do you see the connection if, you know, ambitions yeah. are lower, then the stress goes down as yeah. well? Yeah. Yeah. Expectations the, management. Yeah. Also, in, in a sense. But then I suppose team ambition, though, can be set through the line organization, right? So through managers and through, like, if you think about financial targets or sales yeah. targets or whatever, then... There then... are, of course, targets that yeah. need to be hit. And then the teams break those targets down into work that they need to get done in a certain period of time. Yeah. And in the end, they need to hit the targets. So mm. they can't put the targets down, the, the ultimate targets. But yeah. uh, I think the problem has been that the teams have been too ambitious what they can get done in reality, mm. and, and they hope that they can get a lot more done. And, and then there is this constant feeling of having a backlog that is kind of on my neck mm. and we are mm. not getting things done in, in the given schedules. And that is really stressful. Mm. But it has been a long journey <laughs> to get there. <laughs> okay. All right. So maybe let's move on to probably the key question of this discussion that we would like to ask you about, Hanna Kaisa. So in a sentence or two, how would you describe your leadership philosophy? Philosophy is a big word. <laughs> so I need to downgrade it a little bit. <laughs> I, I, In two sentences, what do I focus on when I work as a leader? What is important for me? Uh, my job as a leader is to help people around me to succeed in their work. That is that is really, really at the core of my job. And the second sentence that <laughs> describes is, is that I want to help the people around me to fulfill their career dreams. So help them to grow and learn things that matter to them. That in short. Okay, sounds great. 
So what kind of experiences or relationships have kind of formed this philosophy or approach in leadership that you have? I have learned a lot from my managers. And uh, of, of course, I have attended all kinds of courses, hmm. but I have learned the most from, from my managers, from good leaders who have been good leaders towards me and mm -hmm. who have been excellent leaders of teams and excellent people in bringing diverse groups of people to work together in a productive and inspiring way. So I've had great leaders and, and some of them have been my mentors during my career. As an academic myself, I have to ask this. Um, <clears throat> you, you have academic background as well. Yes. So you've, you've done a PhD in uh, psychology. I checked you have more than a thousand citations. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big figure, actually. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised. Oh, thanks, Google Scholar. Yeah. <laughs> so anything that comes from that part of your story that kind of formed your leadership approach? Yes, because I focused in my PhD, I focused on studying innovation in organizations. And one of the areas that I studied was that innovation, be that new products, services, business models, ways of working, comes out of diversity. So if you're hanging around with similar people like you are, nothing new comes out of it. And when you put a bunch of people together who are very diverse in terms of backgrounds or knowledge or ways of, ways of working or operating, great things can happen and it's very inspiring to work in teams like that and as i have studied that and as i have seen what the good outcomes of companies that are good at that are i.e they succeed in a world that is constantly changing and and they are able to adapt their ways of operating to the changing environment where we live in so that is something that i have consciously wanted to enhance in, in workplaces where I have worked so that companies would become such that they, as the world changes around us, they also prosper mm -hmm. in that change and they don't just lag behind and then in the end become obsolete if, mm -hmm. if things go really wrong. So that diversity element and bringing different types of people together to work in such a way that all of them can flourish based on their strengths. I think that has been a key element in how I lead or try mm -hmm. to lead people. Did you find that in those diverse teams, it took longer for the teams to, you know, get to a flow or to a good way of working, appreciating each other than it would have taken from a team that is very similar to each other or has similar background. Mm. I didn't study that, but mm. from practice, I can tell yes. <laughs> so yes, the too. more different people come together, the more difficult it is for us to, first of all, to find a common language right. so mm. that I understand when you say a tree, it's a tree and not a bush. Yes. And then to become a team where everybody knows each other and, and know what you're aiming towards and what is the common goal and all of that, it, it just takes more more time yeah. yep yeah but it's worth and, it and what i have also learned that once they find that they come to a common ground it might be even higher than a, that of a team or the achievements of a team that are very similar Absolutely. and they can maintain it longer i don't know if you have any views on that if they work together and, and they keep on improving how they work, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And they have gone through a lot in understanding each other and finding the common ways of operating. So they have become good at having a dialogue around it, that how do we work in terms of to be most productive or creative or, or whatever the, the goal is. Right. 
Yes. Can I come back to a couple of yes. questions back? <laughs> sure. So you, you mentioned that you had like amazing leaders in, in your professional yes. life that you learned a lot from, mentors as well. Yes. So can you kind of give examples? What exactly did you learn from those people that shaped your philosophy? Ah, oh, so many things. Well, maybe certain elements that, that probably come also from my mom and dad, for instance, who have also been an inspiration to me. I used to work with a leader in the steel industry that is very that used to be very hierarchical and, and the big bosses were really big bosses and then the workers were in a different caste, so to say, mm-hmm. and, and, and he changed the culture of that company substantially. One way he did it was that instead of sitting in his meeting rooms with the with the managers and leaders, he spent a lot of time with the with the employees at the shop floor, mm. and and uh, he talked a lot to them, and and he spent a lot of time in understanding, asking them questions that what works and what doesn't. The old-fashioned management by walking around, and that was one one aha for me that okay, if you if you want to lead, you need to be there where the people Visible, are yeah. mm-hmm. and you need to understand, you need to ask them what's working and what's not working mm-hmm. and you need to sort of understand their reality in order to develop things. And the big learning from that for me was was that he was just being himself. <laughs> this may sound stupid now, but when you're young and you're, you're trying to be a manager and you have just come out from school, I believe that you need to be something fantastic and somehow very special and not just ordinary and and the more I looked at these senior leaders I understood that the more they were themselves the easier it was for the others to to talk to them and mm. to approach them and have that psychological safety in, in place so so I, I kind of understood from them for instance that just being me authentic me is actually really core to how to lead people how to create trust mm-hmm being themselves is an interesting point. When you have those kind of leaders and you think of them as mentors, did you ask them directly like to create a formal mentor relationship or did you just, let's say, become more socially involved with them? Because like uh, I, from my own career, I know people that have been a mentor that's been assigned to me or that I've requested for formally. But uh, most of the people I take my inspiration from are informal relationships. Mm. So did you... They started as informal relationships, so typically I left the company and I asked, <laughs> asked some of them for lunch or dinner or shall we have coffee? And then I started talking about, you know, I have this problem at work and how would you, what would you do in this situation? And then at a certain point of time I asked, so could we make this sort of official? Could you be my mentor? Hmm. And then we continued that for a period of time. But with this one particular person, I still have lunch twice a year. He's not officially anymore my mentor, but we still meet twice a year over lunch and, and catch up on things. But I have never been to an official mentoring program ah. myself. These have always mm. been people that I have got to know and I have asked or have started going lunch to, and then I have asked, could you be my, my mentor? That's interesting. I can relate to that. I've, I have been on an official mentoring program and I found it difficult to work with. I thought it was, it didn't feel organic. Like there was, mm. like the, the knowledge transfer was in a sense forced. And yeah. so it, it felt a bit um, awkward as, yeah. as an experience. And also for, I mean, I have been asked to be a mentor several times. And then if a person approaches me, is inspired about what I spoke or what I, what we discussed. And then she comes to me and asks, can you be my mentor? And I'm like, 
Whoa, what does that mean? <laughs> what would I do? <laughs> you know, what would you? Mm. And then it's easier if somebody approaches you as like you said, you know, I have this problem at work or these are the questions I have been asking myself. Then it's easier to start. But if somebody comes to you and says, can you be my mentor? It, it really feels a bit overwhelming for the mentor as well. Mm. 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 I have another question about about the the downgrade from philosophy or the, the plan or the, or the responsibilities. <laughs> so, um, I mean, you mentioned obviously that it's about helping those around you succeed. Mm. How does personal development work in that environment? So if you spend all of your energy and your time on helping others be successful, how do you practically, let's say, manage your own goals, your own career, your own aspirations? Mm having mentors <laughs> myself or or you know my manager as a sounding board on work related matters like every everyday related matters but of course i'm uh, having been a researcher for me it's really important to read to have time to read and reflect mm. i would love to do research but i don't have time for that <laughs> i think that taught a lot doing my phd was really important for me professionally mm. to think about the stuff that i was working on uh, kind of from a bit more distance and, and read the theory about it and the studies that have been done around the area of, of innovation. Um, making sure I surround myself with people who are smarter than me. So <laughs> trying to get into jobs where my colleagues are smarter than me. I learn immensely mm. every day from my colleagues. I have the privilege that they are really smart and uh, they're been involved in all kinds of projects and different businesses and different situations. So I learn a lot from that. And lately I have been asked to join a couple of boards or one supervisory board and one board. Mm. So in a different industry and that of course then is a learning yeah. learning place. Of course, I, I try to give a lot, but as it's a different industry than the one where I'm working, I, I learn a lot from that different context. Mm. I think the key is to have time in the calendar and in practical terms I book that time in my calendar. Okay. Do you mind if I ask how much? Uh, every week there are a few hours. Okay. I would say five hours or so Wow. as an average. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's probably right. I think if you think about the standard sort of 70-20-10 models then you yeah. know 10%-ish of your you know, working output, that's about right. I struggle to find five hours, but I don't know if that's my own chaotic nature, <laughs> my yeah. own inability. And it's not every week, but if you look over a longer period of time, mm. I think that's more or less the average. Yeah. But it's it's hard at times. It's it's really difficult. Mm. But you, but it's worth it. That's for it sure. is. You've also been then, I think, very lucky because if you're trying to, as a leader, make sure those around you are successful, has that been your primary experience of leadership in Finland, like throughout your career? Is that, that have most of the managers you've worked with been like that, have had that style? Most of them yet, not all of them. Yeah, what do you make? So I would say maybe a better question is, how would you define sort of like the average Finnish leader or leadership? you know, that's currently mm. in, in Finland today? What's it like? Mm. Currently, and, and more and more, it's empowering. Mm. So when you read about, especially this younger generation, I would call, I think empowerment has been really important element. Mm. And I think it's not that 
And you, in a sense, because I do feel that as a society we are kind of egalitarian and, mm. and we respect all kinds of people and we don't have kings and queens and, and the ones below us, but we are more like more or less on the on the same same page or same same level. So um, I think that is one element. Uh, then another element I think is this humility. We are humble as mm. a nation and I think that comes from living in this end of the world in this periphery where not normal people want to live given the temperatures that we have in winter time so uh, and we are a small nation and we have had to prove ourselves many times that even though we are a small nation and we live here in the periphery we can make it in the in the world in the international business and we have know-how and we have skills and we can we can build for instance successful businesses even though the conditions are not perhaps the the best ones we don't have that many millions of people so mm. i think that uh, has put a certain level of humility in us as leaders that we don't go around let's we know how to conquer the world but we do the research and we study and we solve the problems and we have a lot of brilliant engineers who are excellent in solving problems mm. and that way we can build success mm. i think that is an other element Yeah. connected to that actually so do you think humility is a good thing or a bad thing because we we're kind of we've been reflecting on on the fact that there are not that many Finnish managers or leaders outside Finland mm. and can can this humility be one of the reasons for that it can be yes if you, or do want you see any, any other reasons why there are not that many Finnish leaders globally maybe we like this periphery <laughs> these <laughs> temperatures <laughs> after all Hmm, a good question. I think it also relates to networks mm-hmm. mm. because getting a career in international uh, business also depends on networks, not just who you are and what your skill sets are. Maybe traditionally we are not best in that. We mm. we focus on the job and getting the job done and not on socializing and uh, I don't know, I haven't been there in the international business arena, but I, I believe that, that for instance, in the US or the Silicon Valley, that is often referred to, that their networks matter really a lot, that who you know and, and who you get to know and are you in or out and that way you doors open for you and perhaps you have an opportunity. And if I think about our neighbors to the West, you know, they're quite good at socializing and networking and building yeah. those relationships. Yeah. Although it is fair to say that networking within Finland is very important and very strong. It is, and I think in every every country it is mm. human for us. We need each other and and we want people around us who we can trust and we need to get to know them. So networking, yes, it is really important. Mm. But that's a good question. I, I don't know. Have they done any research around that area? That's what we're that's, about to do. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, why, that's why we're ah, here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but actually, what about yourself? I mean... So you you do like to work in multicultural environment, yes. right? So do you socialize with your colleagues outside Finland? Ex-colleagues, a little bit, too few. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I miss a little bit as I work in a mainly Finnish company. We do have some operations in the Baltic countries, but like I worked at Nokia, I think that was really really great to have that international network of colleagues in the different countries in the world. But I do still feel that that network is there. So, for instance, if I have a problem at work that relates to compensation and mm. I don't know <laughs> how to solve it, I know a person from my Nokia network that I can reach out to and she will help me out. So 
the network is always there of the people that you have come kind of close mm. and uh i could i should take better care of that network but given corona and all, all those years mm. i didn't travel a lot and now nowadays traveling doesn't happen that often and it's it's hard it's harder to keep it alive mm. in just a digital format mm. i think we were discussing about humbleness just before this interview and uh Actually, Alexei was reflecting on the Golden Globe nomination of Alma Posty and, mm-hmm. um, as the best female actor, and um, w- how the media reacts to that is, how come you know a, an actor from Finland is nominated? That mm-hmm. sort of the, you know, we are we are doing it to ourselves also. Yeah. We're sort of repeating that narrative that we're not that important. We're not we are a small country, mm-hmm. so how come? Mm. And uh, and I think it's a it's a bit uh, self feeding. It is. It yeah. is. It has the downside. Yeah. I agree. I yeah. agree. But I think the good side of it is that we then take into account risks and, like mm. I said, we do our homework well and and all of those good things that I I think you need to do when you're launching a business or mm. you're trying to grow a business. But there is that mm. side that sometimes we just whip ourselves and yeah. we're no good. We're not gonna make it. Let's just stay here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think our neighbors in the West, you know, wouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> so, but they have sure. kings and queens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're used to the pageantry. Yeah, yeah. there's <laughs> something to be said for they that. They have I conquered parts of the world. <laughs> you have nothing to do, and you're listening to the FLT podcast. <laughs> you should be studying, and you're listening to the FLT podcast. <laughs> You've talked on a number of subjects. I think there was maybe two or three that caught my eye. The most recent one was about, I think, working or leading with hope or being hopeful yeah. with mm-hmm. leadership, which I thought was a, I mean, it's always good, particularly at the end and start of the year to think about optimism for the future. But then I also read the one about about the concern for the next generation, mm-hmm. about uh, how technology is shaping and changing the nature of our, our children's lives or the next generation's yeah. lives and how much we're investing in you know, artificial reality and virtual reality and these things and how that's maybe increasingly disconnecting us. Yeah. If you're a leader that's trying to uh, help other people succeed, how, do you have much experience on on doing that virtually or remotely or being in a that's a, the, the more modern virtual environment? Mm. Do you have any feelings on how that how difficult that might be? Being a psychologist, like I say in my LinkedIn posts, we have not changed as human beings that Mm. we need this face-to-face connection with each other. And I strongly believe that we have taken it a bit too far. Mm. We have taken our kind of communication and and getting together a bit too much in Mm. the digital platforms. And that is one reason why we are seeing increasing amounts of mental disorders, for instance, with young people and and kids. Mm. But also, you know, big companies, the higher levels of anxiety, higher yeah. numbers of burnout, higher yeah. numbers of bore out, people yeah. sort of being disenfranchised with their jobs, but not particularly leaving. Yeah, it's uh, um, I think somehow we've left something behind. We you, have. you know, I'm not exactly sure. I can't yeah. pinpoint what it is, but that's what it feels like to me. And I, I strongly feel that we should look in the mirror. We have done it ourselves consciously. There's no one to blame. It's us yeah. adults. <laughs> And I'm a strong believer in technology and technology helps us in many ways into our work better and in a more in a smarter way. But we should always think 
that where it fits and what benefits it brings. And if we notice that we have taken something too far, we should take it back. Mm. And in that, I think we are failing, that we get so inspired by what now AI can do. And now everything AI, AI, it's fantastic. It will help us again, but we should really carefully think where to apply it and when is it good for us as human beings and when perhaps it is not. And these ethical considerations and, and, and these things, I think still there's not so much emphasis on that aspect. On that aspect, I think what you're talking about is the human skills of a leader or people in general. But I read on your LinkedIn that you have started in Ope to do this leadership experience measuring or, yes. yeah, that's an interesting one. Yes. Uh, you are asking leaders about their experiences, yes. right? And and not measuring them on are they meeting some expectations, no. for example. Can you talk a little bit more about that? We're still working on analyzing no. the data, but the, the idea behind is exactly that, that typically leaders get measured for their performance. Mm. And we wanted to un- we wanted to find a tool that helps us to help our leaders, again, to prosper in their jobs. So right. what is it that that is helping them to succeed as leaders and what are possibly the obstacles? And then we want to remove the obstacles and provide them with the support that they need to become better leaders. So it's a development tool in that sense. And of course, it measures the, we call it the shared leadership that we have in this culture, because there are line managers and then there are people who have a leader hat, but they are not typically line managers, but they Mm. have an important part of the leadership task. Mm. And then the self-managing teams take part of the leadership over. So with this survey, we also studied that, that how is it working? That mm. do people who, who occupy those roles or have those hats, do they feel that they are succeeding and what's kind of helping them, what's not helping them? And how do the teams feel themselves that are they now accountable and do they have enough skills to be autonomous, etc.? So we are sort of studying the leadership culture that we have consciously tried to develop over the, the past five years. We developed the questionnaire ourselves. It's the first time that we are now measuring it. And now we are still in the middle of doing the analysis. But the idea is, uh, again, that then we will discuss the findings, of course, with the teams and with the with the leaders and, and then come up with what are the things that we can do to improve. Are things. these coaches that you developed also helping? Yeah. Yes. And, and they are also taking the survey. So also we get the... Yeah, yeah. Okay. we get the results regarding their role that what's working and what's not working. Previously, you also talked about the diversity of a team and how important it is for renewal and innovation. How do you at OPE then focus on diversity? How do you know that the teams are diverse or are they? Mm. Or do you focus on that? The focus has now been on getting these people with different competencies and backgrounds together. So for instance, if you're developing our digital services we need to have a tech guy and a designer and somebody who can calculate euros etc so the focus has been very much on that but then of course we want to have men and women and we want to have more and more people coming from different ethnic backgrounds or nationalities because our customers have different nationalities and then also the focus should be in my opinion going forward that as we have 
a workforce that is reducing all the time. And we have a lot of people who are not at work. They are, for some reasons, that they are recovering from something that went wrong in their lives mm. or they have uh, this um, autism or how, yeah. how do you call it? That they, they are just neural. Neurodiversity. Yeah. yeah. So, so that people who are who have all the skills to work, but it's just a different set of skills and the normal workplace mm. is kind of rejecting them. So I do believe that we need to take this aspect into account that mm. we can employ more diverse workforce to what we are used to. In that sense, at OP, we need to now widen our diversity perspective and we are in the middle of sort of defining what are the next steps to take in that area. Excellent. Your conception of leadership is, to me, sounds a lot about like kind of self-sacrifice to some extent. Like it's all about focusing on others, making sure that they succeed. And um, mm. and then we discussed this uh, a little bit before that you also practice in ballet, right? And ballet is really hard. It takes a lot of commitment, a lot of practice, a lot of time. It's painful. I've never done that, but mm, uh, it is. <laughs> I, <laughs> But, but so basically it's like you, you as a ballet dancer you suffer for for the pleasure of others who watch mm. you dance right do you see any kind of parallels between ballet and leadership yeah ballet as well like any dance is is a group effort mm -hmm. so you create that magic with a group of people mm -hmm. that becomes more than the sum of its parts you also have the music and the you know everything that goes goes with it so i think in leadership you do the same that you at best you get more out of the group than one plus one plus one is three one plus one plus one plus one can be more than three so so i think in that sense it is similar then also it is hard work i think becoming a better leader is is hard work and, and it is sometimes painful. You face situations that are very uncomfortable and, and very heartbreaking at times and, and uh, very difficult. Yet you need to solve them and you need to get over them. And sometimes you can't even solve them, but you need to kind of continue yeah, yeah. working. And, and um, yeah, ballet is that. It's a lot of hard work, exercise, repetition, learning, getting constant feedback uh, on what you are doing. And I think leadership at its best is also that, that you, you are kind of, kind of a mirror for the one you, you want to coach and you want to see grow. But ballet is far more painful than being a leader. <laughs> <laughs> it's more difficult. I'm an adult ballerina, so you won't be seeing me in Bolshoi or... Marinsky theater. <laughs> but in both disciplines, you also have to maintain the mask, right? So particularly in the more performative elements of ballet, you have to, you can't break character. And there's a lot of leadership, obviously, where you need to be authentic, but a lot of it is also maintaining a certain poise in front of your teams and your staff and your colleagues, mm -hmm. because if you lose control of it or if you lose your emotional control mm. everybody else freaks out yep. really quickly yeah and so even at the most painful moments you have to still keep that calm calm mm. Mm. Yeah. composure composure and not get nervous yeah mm. yeah i agree 
How do you deal with the nerves? I count to 10, <laughs> and then I count to 20, <laughs> and then I count to 100, <laughs> and that I think I've learned as a mom. <laughs> Good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, patience. I yeah. Think is the... And I know what triggers me. I've learned so much about myself during these years that I know what goes under my skin. And then in those situations, I definitely count to 100. Mm. So I know that, okay, this will go under under my skill. And then I need to sort of yeah. take a deep breath and don't, don't, don't let don't. it happen. So it's about, you know, getting comfortable with who you are and how you react in different kind of situations and knowing that. How early on did you figure out your triggers? Because I only worked out like one of mine last week. <laughs> yeah, I notice also every day more and more. <laughs> but yeah, it takes time, of course, when you're mm. 25, you mm. you don't have a clue and then you just react. Mm. But of course, that comes with, with age. Yeah. And I think also children are pretty good coaches in that. They know which buttons <laughs> to push. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then you learn about yourself. Okay, I reacted like that. Not the best mom. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to have a mini version of yourself like yeah. pushing your own because you're like, I I programmed that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Mm. So is there any advice that you would like to give to leaders today in Finland? Mm. Well, be true to yourself. Know what you stand for and try to find jobs where you can sort of live according to your values and you can you can do the stuff that you find meaningful then typically good results follow it's good advice mm-hmm. absolutely okay. okay let's call it a day yeah with that yeah. hannah kaiser thank you very much for giving us your time and your answers it was a, um, a pleasure and uh, very insightful thank Thanks. you for having me I'm very interested to hear what the outcome is. What you said. Yeah, what I said. <laughs> okay, so that was Hannah Kaiser. How do we feel, guys? And, and what stood out for you, Alexei? Well, I feel great. So and, and a, couple, a couple of things stood out for me. So the first one is that uh, Hannah Kaiser talked a lot about uh, the role of mentors. So we kind of discuss a lot about whether leaders are made or born and clearly you can be born with some leadership qualities but you do need to get support to develop uh, yourself as a leader so don't be afraid to ask for help and guidance and advice so mentors are a good way to do that and then another idea of this uh, that Hannah Kaiser was talking about was um, leadership as self-sacrifice so basically in the end it's really kind of are you willing to to spend your professional life to help others to succeed and um, find intrinsic motivation in doing that? So I think in the end, that's to be a good leader. You need to really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And maybe as a scholar myself, I was really glad to hear that Hannah Kaiser, her background in, in academic research, she found it uh, useful <laughs> in, in her current work and that's not very common, I have to say, which is, you know, gives hope to me. That's great. Andley? What stood out for me is the the view she carries about a human or an employee as a human, that it's not just about the performance or the achievement, even though she talks about productivity, but it is about making sure that a person 
who works for her can have a good life. Mm. Uh, not just work life, but good life. Mm. And can feel balanced in terms of being able to realize those dreams and, and uh, targets people have set themselves at work. Things that people do outside work are also beneficial at work. Mm. And, um, and, and she looks at a person in a very holistic way. And um, of course, from a diversity perspective, we always talk about people being able to bring their full self to work. And um, to me, even though she didn't talk about her view of a human in only in the perspective of diversity, but I think she inhales that. It's, it's in her personal value uh, arsenal where she sort of holds that view of a of a human being. And I, I really appreciate that. Mm, it is really clear she thinks about yeah. people, you know, yeah. and she really cares deeply about it. Yeah. yeah, I think three things probably stood out. The first one is, like a lot of good leaders, she had an, an incredible clarity. So she was really clear about what was important. She was clear about what she wanted for her organization. She was clear about how to get there. So the picture in her mind of what good looked like and where she was striving to get to was well thought out and it was detailed. And I think from that, any question you ask, it doesn't matter because she's already thought about, in a sense, the complete set. So that was really interesting. I think the second one is, which is a new comment and it's, it's definitely true. I haven't thought about it before, but Finnish senior leaders networking internationally, that's a huge thing. So if we think about why don't you know, maybe why don't Finnish leaders pop up outside of Finland? It's probably the maintenance of the maintenance of international networks because they Finnish leaders tend to invest a lot of time in the leadership networks here in Finland, but less so uh, abroad. I think that's something we need to explore further. And then the last thing that strikes me is it's actually sort of more about what she didn't say. So this is number three, and I don't know. You might have to correct me, but nobody's mentioned Sisu yet. I was about. Well, she was talking about how, you know, once you have some challenges at work, how do you overcome that? She counts until 20 or 100. Mm. And I was about to say, is it all about CISO? Yeah. I mean, I suppose the thing I got was patience because she went straight to parenting and where mm. she got it from there. And I, there is a toughness there, but I'm not sure that that's, it's not mm. the traditional CISO that you would have with the kind of more masculine tones of like uh, CISO, mm. you know? Perseverance. Mm. Well, parenting needs CISO as well. <laughs> that's true. We that's all that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but overall, again, you know, a good feeling that like she must be a good boss. Like it, 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 like it would be good to work. You know, that's yeah. uh, uh, you know, yeah, having everything clear and having a good care and consideration for people. Yeah, yeah. and a good human, and a good human. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and that's us for today in the third episode. Massive thanks to Hannah Kaiser for giving us her time today. Thanks always to you guys, Alexei and Annalie. Thanks to the good people at Alto for giving us a fabulous temporary studio and some equipment. Thanks also to Bella behind the camera and the mixing board. Uh, we'll see you again. Oh, And to Fat Lizard. And to Fat Lizard. We have to thank Fat Lizard for creating the space that allowed us to have this idea. Creative space. We will take collaborative contributions, uh, you know, towards the podcast. Fat Lizard, if you're listening, we're, uh, we're available. <laughs> and to everybody else, thanks for listening and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Bye.